Warrior Woman, welcome back to the Warrior School Podcast. This is episode 119. I have a delicious guest for you today. And we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, the skin. I am joined by Emma, aka the nutrition coach, who is, well, she's a nutritionist. She's a business boss lady who owns Satray with the one and only Kitty Blomfield, who is a very dear friend of mine. Satray has just launched their new skincare line, and I really wanted to put Emma in the hot, hot, hot seat and ask her all about the skin and the gut from a nutritionist's perspective. So Emma and I sit down and we chat for like, I think it's about an hour and 20 minutes. We talk about her work as a nutritionist for the last 18 years and what she's really learned about health. We chat skin from a nutritionist perspective, which is super cool because that brings in a lot of talk around the gut and its relationship to our skin. We talk supplements for our skin, and I learn a little bit more about Saturay, which is super cool. Uh, The journey in creating Saturay, in creating the skincare line, and the supplement products, which I've been using for almost a year now. I use the beef liver, the collagen, the clean casein, and I just got my oyster supplements in the mail. I order them all the way from Canada. Uh, We also talk about uh, foods that we should be eating to support our skin and health. Uh, And should, I keep on saying shoots, like (laughs) I'm not sure why I'm saying shoots. Foods we shouldn't eat or we should avoid or limit to support our skin and our gut. Emma and I chat a lot about, we're a little bit about cooking and the importance of getting back to how our grandparents and great-grandparents ate. And then I really wanted to hear what she's learned over the last three years researching and developing Saturay. So we talk about her research, what she's learned around skin products, the beauty industry, uh, and how they went about developing Saturay. We talk about loads more. There's some stuff about skin conditions. We talk about the sun and sun damage. We talk about skincare with saturated fat versus uh, our puffers. There's a lot in there. It's like about an hour and 20 minutes long. So enjoy this conversation, Warrior, with the nutrition coach, Emma. Welcome to the Warrior School podcast, the podcast for women who train. I believe following a plan that works with your body and has a timeline of years is the future of women's training. I also believe women can train hard. We just need to learn how to do it in a respectful way. So Warrior, this is your go-to show for practical information on training, nutrition, hormones and performance. Myself and tons of experts will help you create a training strategy that works with your body and gets results. 
I am your teacher, Amy Bow, coach, dietitian, and the creator of Warrior School. Okay, Warrior Woman, let's do this. Okay, let's start. All right, I am joined by Emma. And we were just talking uh, before what well, was recording and, but we were just talking a little bit about our backgrounds. And so I said to Emma, you know, I'd love for her to start the podcast by telling us a little bit about her story, because to me, you know, she's a very unconventional nutritionist. And then I was just sharing that I did my master's in dietetics. So we we're just riffing and having a bit of a conversation about, uh, you know, what I learned you know, in the academic space at university about food and nutrition and health and how I don't practice any of that. <laughs> uh, and I've learned so much since I finished over the last 10 years about health uh, and nutrition. So Emma, I'm going to hand it over to you. I would love for you to tell everyone a little bit about your story and how you became a little bit of a troublemaker, a rule breaker, <laughs> and this unconventional nutritionist. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, that's quite an intro. Thanks, Amy. But no, first of all, thanks for having me. We were meant to meet, meet many times and we've tried to do this many times, but things got in the way. So finally we're chatting, which is lovely. Um, gosh, my background, ugh, I have to give you the nutshell version because I could waffle on for a while. <laughs> but um, I think I, I was fascinated by nutrition from a very young age. I had gut issues as a baby and it wasn't until I think he was a naturopath I was about age eight or nine, sat me down and said, you are what you eat, and that blew my mind. And I started reading books on nutrition from that age, um, which I don't recommend because I think you can get, you know, as, as you know, with every path you go down nutrition, you get a bit OCD on food and, and all these extreme diets that sort of present themselves. But I think, you know, teenage years, there was lots of experimentation with vegetarianism and uh, what are you, macrobiotics, um, uh, versions of paleo before it was called paleo. <laughs> you know? But I think I was fascinated first and foremost for feeling my best. And then when it came to being a practitioner, I felt this inclination to kind of, well, who am I to tell anyone else what to eat unless I can feel the full benefits myself? So I had to find that way to eat that made me feel as good as possibly as I possibly could. Um, but before that, after I finished school, I went straight to university and did fashion design. So that was my other life. Oh, cool. So I've always dabbled between nutrition, science, wellness and design-related industries. Um, I'd like to call myself schizophrenic, but I come from a long history of artists and designers and that's in my blood, I suppose, um, which I love, but I got out in that industry and realised Harlina was being creative or encouraged to be. It's just you rip off what's coming through from Europe. And so my soul was kind of withering up and not feeling fulfilled in that realm. But I'd go home at night and pull out books on nutrition and physiology. And I just found that fascinating. You know, to me, that was like romance novels for some. You know, I just yeah. couldn't put those books down. And it wasn't till a few months into or perhaps a couple of years working in that industry that I realised, oh, my goodness, maybe this is what I should be doing for a living. This, this doesn't feel like work to me. It's just a passion. Went back to university. I started with Chinese medicine. was doing that for a while. Loved that. And I loved the approach. And that opened up a whole different realm for me, um, a different perspective of looking at the body and energies. But realised my speciality 
wasn't going to be, you know, uh, herbs or acupuncture. It didn't do it quite so much for me. I always felt like if someone's not eating well to start with, how much can the other stuff do? And if they're, you know, deplete in nutrients and, I mean, calories in general and they're exhausted and they're eating junk and rubbish, um, I, I felt like the other stuff couldn't really have its full effect on a body. So I then swapped from there and moved into nutrition and I, um, yeah, so became a nutritionist, obviously. I was also dabbling in, I was also a Pilates instructor. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've dabbled in a few things. Um, yeah, so for the last 18 years, I've been working one-on-one -on -one with clients um, in different realms. I was in a few different clinics. Then I was, I worked in some of the wellness retreats in the back blocks of the Sunshine Coast in Australia. Um, so I had different, um, I suppose, perspectives working with people in different ways. But, yeah, one-on-one's been my thing. And I suppose that's where I feel I can get the most with clients because, as you probably came to learn as well, there is no one-size-fits-all at all. And every one of the clients I've ever worked with, they can present with, um, I suppose, those textbook collection of symptoms or those um, diagnoses they've been you know labeled with and there's no one protocol protocol for those that similar diagnosis that you know several women have presented with it's always fascinating it's it always comes back to you treat that individual you're working with don't treat the condition yada yada um but even still within those years of practicing I was still sort of figuring out what is it that you know people do best with and when I was applying what it was that I learned at uni about this is what you should get people to eat um you know just copy this one-size-fits-all diet list you should hand out to your clients and supplement with them with all the metagenics you can I don't know I wasn't <laughs> seeing people coming back I wasn't metagenics seeing people coming, <laughs> metagenics pharmaceuticals I shouldn't even say name should I um but it was when I in reflection when I think about of course I did. I don't know. It was kind of like, okay, so here's the food, yada, yada, whatever. Here's that list. Now let's focus on what supplements we can dish out to people. Um, you know, the seed and feed protocols. And it was just to get them to follow the protocols, get them to follow, get them to not think, write them the diet plan. Um, and then they become more dependent on you. And it just, I don't know, it never sat well with me. And I did come to learn that those recommendations weren't necessarily getting these profound effects on people. I was looking for those testimonials where people would just, you know, finally after perhaps decades of, hang on, there's someone, I've just got to go. Um, yeah, decades of having certain issues to all of a sudden let's see those things resolved. It wasn't happening. Uh, so I was still shifting my approach, you know, or I guess applying with clients different approaches to see what might work. And it wasn't until, gosh, I'd just gotten back from New York where I did some training with some experts in the field of cleansing and fasting and juicing and <laughs> you've been there. <laughs> um, and I was just, I don't know, I wasn't thriving myself eating that way and it just, it wasn't sitting with me. I 
I saw that everything became, I mean, everything became vegetable centric. It was like the epitome of that food pyramid. And I, I was always quite fascinated by the chemistry of things. And I started to look at, you know, even green leafy veggies for what they were in that raw state, which was apparently the best way to have them. And when I looked at it, you know, for what it was, you look at the cellulotic structure of those cells and how, how dense cellulose is. And we don't make cellulase. We just don't make it. Um, I was looking at the phytates and oxalates and antinutrients and things that literally resist digestion in the human body. Um, I was looking at even the, the digestive tract of humans, which really is pretty basic in comparison to other animals. I mean, you look at that cow that spends all day eating grass and that can survive and thrive on, you know, grassy, leafy matter. It has to chew it all day long. It rechews its cud. It has up to four stomachs. It makes cellulase. It has a hind gut where it ferments what didn't get digested with that complex digestive tract. And, you know, uh, we, we don't have those things. I don't chew my cut. I don't have four stomach cavities. It's, you start to go, well, hang on, how did we come to be recommended to eat the matter that a cow's naturally akin to eating or a rabbit? Anyway, getting to the point. Um, yeah, it was just sort of, I was sort of thinking, how do we get to that point of what is recommended as the be all and end all of health food, you know, um, granolas and green juices and, and soaked nuts and whatnot. And I started to reflect on what my great-grandmother ate and, you know, their descendants and what they would have eaten in that village in Greece and what, what was accessible to them. Um, and it wasn't that. And I literally Googled the question, like, who defined what health food is or something like that. I, I Googled a question, and this is going back. 10, 11 years, and this, this article by a fellow called Dr. A.P. pops up about vegetables and defining what food is. And in that article, I got more clarity than any university lecturer or any guru I'd gone across the world to learn from anything. It was just it was common sense and it was just, it was taking the, you know, the, I suppose, the esoteric and the romantic narratives away that from these diets and from these, um, you know, especially in that kind of green, clean space, there's so much righteous talk of what is the cleanest and the greenest and the most purest and all that sort of thing. It was just going, what are they made up of? What do we have? What, what makes sense? What doesn't make sense? And it was really refreshing. And then from that day on, I think I went down, you know, through all of his articles and I became acquainted with, you know, Broda Barnes and, and others who were so far ahead of their time and were, you know, talking about this kind of stuff for a long time. And it really wasn't rocket science as such. It was the stuff that, yeah, our ancestors were just eating and doing and gathering and, you know, um, and stewing and cooking and they didn't have Vitamix blenders and they weren't, <laughs> they didn't have dehydrators and they, they didn't have those sort of things. They just... I don't know, they just gathered and ate the food and it was quite simple and lovely and, and perhaps more delicious. So then, yeah, from that day on, I was really applying it with myself and trying to apply it with clients. And it wasn't till then that I noticed people coming back saying, oh, wow, from that one conversation we had, my goodness, I've been in insomniac for 20 years. I am sleeping through the night. Or I had a dozen rounds of IVF that didn't work. 
oh my gosh, I feel pregnant. Things like that just kept happening. And I was like, oh, how lovely is this? So it was a win-win for both of us because you could actually help people. And it became less complicated for them, you know, less of the supplements, less of the the gas and, you know, um, it was just perhaps igniting in people what deep down they already knew to be true about what perhaps they should eat. And maybe it was the stuff they were craving anyway. So, yeah, does that answer your question? <laughs> oh, anyway, so more recent years, um, yes, continue to work this way um, and just bringing back, I suppose, a connection to simple old-fashioned foods again, you know, be it with some supplements along the way which are necessary, um, limited, but the higher quality, purer ones when, yeah, when a client seems to need that extra boost and there are certain things I think most people do need because in the climate we live in the level of stress we're all under which is unprecedented um the lack of natural light and natural factors that don't come into most people's everyday lives uh, you know I think there are certain things that we do need as an add-on um and then yes yeah, so then three years ago my good friend Kitty Blonfield and I got chatting about some things. Um, she'd been working with me off and on for about seven years, I think, um, with her own health journey. And we noticed that we had clients that would have this recurring question that we got them quite savvy and I suppose conscious of the ingredients of the foods in their pantries and you know of what they're actually eating and knowing what to look out for and knowing what not to buy and what to limit, I suppose, in their everyday diets. Um, particularly on the topic of, you know, your more industrial seed oils and these very unstable oils, which are really only very new in the human diet since the Industrial Revolution. And they're causing such, you know, a gamut of issues in people's health. Um, and then we started noticing that their, I suppose, their reticular activating system kicked in and they were saying, well, I'm avoiding those oils in my food, but I get out of the shower and I'm slathering myself with Nivea body oil, which full of the worst oils that we you know we harp on about you know are some of those getting to my bloodstream are they affecting my health too or my skin health and we'd say well yeah so then they'd ask what you know brands of skincare do you recommend and there was a very limited very limited list that we could and that we could 100% put you know a name behind that we would recommend for ourselves too and then particularly with um you know body moisturizers apart from slathering yourself in coconut oil which does get a bit messy and, and slippery <laughs> particularly when you're picking up small children they slip it out yeah. um or in the middle of winter and you're digging it out with a knife yeah. or it's all over your much. clothes like you That's, get know, coconut it just oil. doesn't yeah <laughs> and on the face people break out and it's yeah it's not ideal um so then kitty who if you know kitty she's she's the the yang to my yin that's how we complement each other <laughs> in the nicest possible way she's action and I'm I'm procrastination and she's action on details and she's like let's make it happen yeah. and she said I think there's there's a, a hole here we need to make you know I need to make skincare and I said oh I said do you, do you need some help and she goes yes so from that day she started you know trying to source a formula formulator and three years later we've finally launched it it's been an absolute battle but a learning curve as we've gone um and to find the right kind of manufacturer who would work with our very finicky needs and not just succumb to the usual you know conventional 
industry standard ingredients that guarantee a fluffy consistency or guarantee long shelf life or guarantee a nice, you know, a particular feel or scent. And at every turn I've been like, nope, nope, we're not doing that. You know, it's already a mammoth industry with a, you know, plenty of junk in there, well-marketed junk that I didn't want to just throw something else at it that was just for the sake of making something. If we weren't going to make something better, why bother? So we did and we're, we're pleased with what we've made and it's finally out there, um, you know, and, and also while that was in formulation, just organically, we just sort of started, again, not by plan, but we saw certain food supplements that a few of our clients in Australia really couldn't access very readily either. So we were sort of more out of need than want. We thought, well, they can't get this. We can see how that's warranted. Perhaps we could get a, a batch of this in and just at least for our clients to access more readily. And then that went well and then that grew. And before we knew it, we had seven, seven products in our supplement range as well. Um, but everything happened really passively, which was nice in reflection. Like we never went out with a plan of, oh, I really want a skincare range and I really want to, you know, have a supplements company. That It was never that at all. It was just our clients begging us, can you help us get this? And we were like, well, let's get a bulk amount in and let's see how we go. Um, yeah, so now, you know, Saturay um, sort of got its own life to it and it's exciting to see people really appreciating the things we've worked so hard to get out there. And, and you know, for me, a big part of it was to not just put products out there and, you know, just trust me if I say it's good, get it. Um, I, I wanted to give the information behind it and back everything we did and be completely transparent on every ingredient and for people to become more savvy and discerning with, knowing what they're putting on their skin or in their mouths and, you know, perhaps you don't want to buy stuff and that's totally uh, fantastic. Um, just use perhaps the information we give you and ask those questions of other manufacturers too or maybe in your part of the world if, if you couldn't get our stuff, um, you know, perhaps there's something as pure out there but just learn how to, you know, be, be more discerning and particularly when it comes to, you know, your skin and what people are putting on themselves and, and their children, it's it's just as important as what, you know, what we ingest. Yeah, so did the idea for Saturate start with the skincare or did it start with the supplements? It started with, oh, we should make skincare. And it was... Oh, wow. <laughs> it wasn't even, yeah, it wasn't even this exciting, yay, let's make some skincare, that'd be fun. It was like... <laughs> Oh God, this is going to be big. Where do we begin? <laughs> Jesus, you know, it was it was that, and the other stuff was like, oh, okay, this is going to take longer than we thought. Um, in the meantime, we've set up a website, and so and so is asking for this, so let's get some of that in, and let's get some of that in because we see skincare is not just what you put on your skin. Clearly, it's what you put in your mouth. Um, but then again, everything that you might do to help support better skin health obviously supports overall you know, health. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'd love to talk about both. And so I would love to park at, you know, the creation of the supplements and like what you were seeing, uh, you know, why did you create the supplements that you created? How do they supplement uh, like the food and their connection between, you know, with our skin, you know, I'd like to start inside, you know, inside of us, what we eat, um, and then we can venture into what you created 
like your skin, your skin products and your skin line. And I'd love to actually dive into, uh, yeah, the creation of, of that and a little bit about the ingredients and, you know, what we look for um, mm-hmm. in our skincare. Does that sound cool? That sounds cool. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so supplements. Yeah. You just said that, you know, out, look, because everyone, well, I think everyone, a lot of women, they want healthy skin. You know, it's been, it's always been such a, a, a really important thing for me to have really healthy, um, beautiful skin. And it's something that I hear a lot. And so I'd love to start with talking about the inside, you know, what actually impacts our skin other than the products that we put on them. You know, let's talk about the food. Let's talk about what you were seeing. You know, were you seeing a lot of skin issues? Have you learned that there's like a correlation between things, you know, certain foods and skin issues? Uh, How have you supported uh, the people that you've worked with over the last, you know, 18 years, uh, you know, with their skin? Mm. Um, Well, I've definitely come to learn that the skin is purely a reflection of what's going on inside. So for anyone uh, for anyone to just want to attack it from the outside, you, you're kind of missing the point and the opportunity. But also perhaps to see, you know, skin problems, whether it be breakouts, whether it be, you know, accelerated signs of ageing, whether it be eczema, psoriasis, um, yes, those conditions are, you know, frustrating and debilitating, but perhaps maybe kind of flick it and see it as an opportunity like for to realize that hang on I think the body is telling me something here something's going on at a deeper level it's just showing up on the skin level and perhaps it's not in my this is a general statement but perhaps it's not a skin issue as such the skin's not doing anything wrong the skin's not functioning wrong the skin is just functioning as per the outcome of the pathways that stemmed from whether it be a gut hormonal issue an endotoxin issue um constipation whatever it may be so to then go oh okay how do we explore let's dig and find that you know that deeper initial cause of that that final conclusion being what shows up at the skin level and yeah particularly with things like acne and you see so many acne products on the market or how i'm going to treat the acne from the outside and it's it's horrific really so many of them involve stripping and and um attacking the dermis and and acids and exfoliation and the poor skin is being punished when really that's not the cause of it um and if you want those long-term sort of permanent shifts in your skin that's it's the only way to go about it um so and i reflect back on a client i had just he just came to mind about five years ago and he was probably in his 40s, all of a sudden he had head-to-toe eczema, never had eczema in his life, didn't have it as a child. It was clearly stress-related, gut-related, usual kind of scenario, but it was fascinating. It was all of a sudden, and I'd sit there on Skype calls with him and he'd just be, you know, itching the whole time. It was so uncomfortable and it was causing him issues with his work and it was just his marriage, everything. Um And all he was recommended by a dermatologist was slather on the cortisol creams and just, you know, try and basically turn off the skin's response and, you know, thin the skin. And he had tried that for a few months and then had a few months of trying to get off those and obviously it didn't work. So we just 
you know, obviously reassessed the diet, pulled out any possible triggers and saw that a lot of what he was ingesting was, was what you might call pro-inflammatory um, and addressing the, you know, it was all as a lot of people's diets have become, you know, heavy on the muscle meat and there wasn't those gelatinous glycine-rich components that offset the more inflammatory amino acids. So we did more of that. But we did see no matter what we did, liquid milk was a major trigger. And I'm a massive fan of dairy. And so at first we didn't cut out entirely. We're like, let's try different kinds of milks. Let's try, you know, um, different milks from different animals, different dairies, um, pasteurized, homogenized, non-pasteurized, all of it. Even still liquid milk, just he just couldn't do it. But instead of cutting out dairy entirely, we explored different cheeses. And in the end, the only one he could tolerate was, you've seen those mozzarella balls, the ones in the Cryvac plastic, um, nice and rubbery and chewy. He could, in the end of, you know, three or maybe six months of investigations and different experiments we did, he could eat one of those a day, you know, a big one. So he was still getting, you know, a lot of the positives of dairy. He was getting a good amount of calcium. Um, but by that last conversation we had, he put up his finger and he had like one little patch of eczema on the side of his nail there. He goes, that's all the eczema I've got on my whole body. And he was told you'll never eat dairy again in any form and you're going to have to not live without these creams. And it wasn't that at all. It's just just to take a breath and stop and go, hang on, what is the body asking you for? Let's give it time to. You really do have to be willing to experiment um, and see what personally fits for you. And it was clear, you know, 100% an inside job to do. Um, and it wasn't about what he was going to put on his skin at all. And it was, yeah, it was really fascinating. So I think, yeah, coming to learn that all these things, you know, a lot of the things that people are diagnosed with with are only syndromes or symptoms, symptoms of deeper rooted things. Um, and you have to look at the bigger picture and, and not just at, oh, my gosh, what are they eating? But you have to look at everything. Like food is only one piece of it. As much as I'm a nutritionist, it's only one piece of it. Stress obviously is massive, probably bigger. Um you know, and how, what you do with your body through the day and if you expose it to a nice light and obviously getting sleep and, you know, all the things. But it's not just food, it is all the things. And it, it might come down to you have to reassess your career path because you're just hating it and you're fully depressed. But that's the hardest stuff to do. It's easier to go to a nutritionist and say, just tell me what to eat. I'll eat the food. I'll keep going to that job I hate, but they pay me well. And I'm in that relationship that is toxic to me. Um, much harder to you know, change your job and change your partner than it is to just change your food. But people resist that to the end. But if they're not addressed, the food can only do so much. Um, so I think I got completely off track, but coming back to the supplements um, and learning about skin over the years and just seeing people's, you know, uh, I suppose their stories firsthand and getting to explore with them, that that sort of gelatinous component is something so missing in our modern diet mm. so when I say gelatinous I mean you know back in the day before um our lives got so busy and more refined I suppose people would eat whole you know cuts of the animal they wouldn't just have that lean fillet steak and that lean chicken breast um you know and that neat little can of tuna it was you eat that whole joint cut and you stew it and you get out not just the muscle meat but you get all the extra minerals, you get all the full gamut of amino acids that cover also your glycine and proline and your more kind of anti-inflammatory amino acids. So things were more balanced 
on the amino acid you know spectrum I suppose but it has gotten quite limited and simplistic these days where yeah the the basis of most people's meal is that steak that chop that chicken breast a few veggies around it and that seemed to be healthy <laughs> um but we we never ate like that up until more recently so when it comes down to it, ideally, you know, if people just ate those really gelatinous cuts and got back to the oxtail and the chicken feet and all those things that were always eaten, but they've gone out of favour, they're not so popular anymore, um, I think we could restore balance in a lot of people, you know, other factors too, of course. But there's also that realisation that a lot of people just aren't going to do that or it doesn't fit in their lifestyle or their hectic schedule and they're not going to slow cook that food or eat the hot gelatinous broths in the middle of summer and you know there's a lot of factors so at the very least if they could learn to incorporate some gelatin learn how to use gelatin properly get high quality clean gelatin make gelatinous you know fruit jellies and gummies or add gelatin into your bolognese to balance out that muscle meat um and then from there also the the more hydrolyzed uh, collagen which is gelatin just taken a step further and dissolves more readily doesn't have to be bloom like gelatin does just add that to your coffee add that to your orange juice so you can supplement those gelatinous components without necessarily having to do all the, the prep that it can take to extract those gelatinous compounds so yeah I suppose it is you know cutting some corners but in a you know when everyone's too busy for some of the processes that our great grannies would have done every single day um, at least they can restore some balance to their amino acids by bringing things like collagen back in. So we've got a, a, a gelatin. And again, I recommend if you're looking for a gelatin product, look for a, a high grade bloom. Um, ours is bovine. You know, it's Australian from a grass fed source, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, and then the hydrolyzed collagen, you want things that are unblended. You've got to be careful to look for, additives like you know the fillers the flow agents the silicas which are renowned in the powdered kind of supplement um area but but yeah we can you know we could handle up to maybe a third of our, our protein intake to be of the more gelatinous kind and it's fascinating to see how that improves people's gut joint skin uh hormonal health even um and conditions they've had for a long period long period of time where um, more of the inflammatory kind start to sort of dissipate too. Um, one of the first things people say to us when they, they're using our collagen for quite a while, they'll say, my knees, my knees feel good. It's just seems to kind of go to the knees first for some reason. If they had, you know, crunchy knees or slightly painful knees or with age, the knees seem to be a really vulnerable point because if you can get your knees moving a bit more, you're more inclined to want to do those squats or go for those walks and actually do those deep knee bends that, ignite your, your quads and your glutes again um but once the knees go people start to hinge from the hips a bit and just rely on you know they just throw the back out and their leg strength goes and their glute strength goes and yeah so to restore that kind of movement and you know get the the knees more agile and and mobile again is really exciting yeah, what were you like? What were you seeing in your practice to kind of lead you into this space of looking at 
like where what proteins we were eating and how we weren't eating a lot of those gelatinous uh, proteins. What were you seeing like in, and I know everyone is different, but were there some key things that were popping up in your practice being like, okay, what's, what's kind of going on here? And then linking that with, oh, actually people are just living on chicken and steak and they're not getting these key amino acids. Um, what do you, do you mean? What were the key issues I was seeing? Yeah, like you know, to, did that link come about when you started to dive into Ray Pete's work? Like, did it come from reading a bit of the science and the research from Ray Pete or Broder Barnes, or were you starting to see, or maybe even at the same time in your clinical practice, were you starting to see some stuff come through, like symptoms or people struggling with things that? when they add this like gelatinous, you know, these quality proteins back in that potentially those symptoms go away or was. Yeah, it was, it it was probably more the latter. It was probably more in hindsight when I became put more focus into that. You'd see people. Yeah. Restore mobility and, and, and sleep better and gut was working better. And you realize that one of the key components was, was more gelatin. Um, Ray certainly shone a light on it, but I think from there too, it reminded me to start looking back at older recipes for clues of, of how we probably cooked for eons compared to how we've been cooking for only a few decades, which is all new and very different. But um, I've become a bit of a collector of really old recipe books. Yeah, cool. And if you can find, yeah, if you can find recipe books pre, pre-1880 even, it's all the clues are there. Like, it's wonderful. There's one in particular. Can I show you? Yes. I really like this one here. It's really cute. What's it called? Mrs. Hill's Hill's new cookbook for private families in town and country. (laughs) It's really cute. But you see, gelatin is just part of so many dishes and they're using all the offal and it's you know cooked in such a way that you go oh my god that actually sounds delicious and they use you know all the sauces they're not just thickened by a bit of gray vox or a bit of corn flour they're the actual leftover drippings and juices reduced down till they're thick and sticky and you didn't get a bit of muscle without either the juices or yeah these reduced sticky gelatinous you know juices that came off it they use the gelatin into the desserts and the puddings and the jellies and it's just loaded with it and it's just not something that well it hasn't been high on the list of priorities of many a diet these past few couple of generations it's just been about cut 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 everything back and keep it lean and you know just focus on your macros that's all you should do doesn't matter what quality of macro just as long as there's protein it's There hasn't been that discernment with, okay, on the topic of protein, there are proteins and there are proteins. What are proteins made up of? Amino acids. And what is the balance of those amino acids or imbalance? Um, Same being with carbohydrates. It's like carb is a carb. It's like, no, it's not. There's completely different carbs under a whole umbrella of carbohydrates and understanding how they work completely differently in our bodies. So it gets to, and I think that sort of, I mean, you would have seen it too, but even in that realm of, you know, personal training and fitness, the fitness industry, it's just macros and macros, you know, like as long as your macros are right, count your macros and don't worry about 
again, what, you know, what quality of macro are we talking about? And let's look at getting some balance within that particular macronutrient. And then, of course, micronutrients. Um, but, yeah, this, this kind of book, it just kind of restored in me that faith of, oh, okay, so all these new revelations I was learning, it wasn't anything new. It wasn't rocket science. It was just remembering what we were already doing and all those traditions that we got lost with, you know, we weren't spending as much time hanging out with grandparents and great-grandparents and passing on recipes. We all got busy and we all got, you know, you know, everything was just getting quicker and simpler and easier and convenient. Um, but those family traditions and those traditional recipes are completely where it's at and it's all in there. And this one's really great too for a giggle. Like you've got, you know, the staunch feminist would hate it. It's yeah. got little tips like when you're cooking your husband dinner, <laughs> get ready when he's on the way home, you know, bit, bit of lippy on, make sure the table's set, <laughs> Take you, put his slippers on for him. It's just fantastic. I, so, I love that. It's just it's for all me, the stuff yeah yeah for me done. like whacking something like like that's the slow cook and getting the gelatin like that is I love that you know I love actually slowly cooking chicken feet or a broth or your oxtail and extracting all the goodness out of it uh and yeah I, I think to me it creates a bit of friction around why some people might find that hard uh mm, you know mm. maybe it's sourcing quality ingredients like you said at the start Emma when you were starting to think about creating your supplements it's like can we actually get quality ingredients you know where is where is the animal coming from and uh but yeah and I've always loved eating that way and I remember my grandma always mm. cooking that way mm. And it's, it's therapeutic. It's, I mean, people outsource meditation classes or ways to try and connect and come down and be present. But I think all those things were that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. just necessarily. I mean, look, and there's other things I do and cook every other day that are quick and instant and I'm a busy mum juggling and homeschooling and doing all the stuff. And, you know, I need quick ideas too. Absolutely. But when it comes to some of those meaty cuts and things it does make sense while we prepare them like that and it turns out to be they're the cheaper cuts they're completely the cheapest cuts out there they're the bits people are you know getting rid of I mean these days even things like liver you know is so dirt cheap no one really wants it not many really want it you know they're, they're turfing a lot of it um whereas you know that that lean fillet steak is hugely expensive these days but if you can get those those other cuts um it's a win-win it's yeah it's it's worth it on on many levels yeah um so we have like the protein uh anything uh, what else you know impacts our skin are there some key things that you found in the practice or you know even you know in the last three years developing and birthing this baby into the world like what have you learned about like about skin and, you know, when you're creating the supplements, are there other things that really support the quality of our skin and the health of our skin? Absolutely. Um, coming to really learn about hormones has been really obviously fundamental. Um, a lot of women are running on empty and estrogen dominant and estrogen encourages cells to almost turn over too quickly. Whereas you want cells to live longer, die off slowly, 
retain some strength and some structure there. Um, vitamin A opposes that action and your skin cells take longer to sloth off and you don't get that flakiness and that need to continually exfoliate. So, yeah, obviously finding that balance within hormones, within nutrients. Um, retinol is so limited in our diets these days too. You know, even the the lower dose vitamin A foods, I suppose, but they're still fundamental, you know, the dairy, the eggs and things like that. I mean, they're out of favour in a lot of diets too. I mean, dairy yeah. is cow pass, isn't it? Yeah. So to think a lot of people are going decades without any dairy sources, maybe a bit of eggs, but then when it comes to offal, gosh, really? You eat that stuff? So where are they getting their vitamin A? Like actual bioavailable preformed vitamin A as opposed to carrot juice, which isn't speed carotene. And good luck trying to convert it if your liver's not feeling. <laughs> um, so, yeah, massively important. And we, um, for a long time, Kitty was on my back saying we should do an encapsulated liver. And for a long time I said, no, nah, no, nah, they just need to eat the liver. Just tell them to suck it up, eat the liver, you know, toughen up. Um, and I would do the liver myself and tell myself, it's okay, I enjoy it. I'll find ways to enjoy it. And look, there's certain ways you can prepare it correctly. It's really quite palatable. And again, those traditional methods, they knew what to do and how to soak it and what to put with it. But I did realize when I, um, oh, especially a bit when I became a mum, became more time poor and life goes out the window and, you know, timing when you're going to buy it super fresh and eating it on the day fresh and all of that, it was just not going to happen. So eventually, and also after hearing so many clients for so many years when I'd say just need to eat beef liver in whatever form you can get it in and they'd almost come back crying I just can't <laughs> do it you know it was just traumatic for them and I still realized but there's such a need for what we we get from awful particularly liver that I succumbed and I said well if we're going to do it we're going to do the best we can possibly do so we managed to source Australian grass-fed we have it done ourselves it's so it's taken from fresh it's freeze-dried immediately there's literally no flow agents and I would beg anyone that might be already using an encapsulated beef liver even if the ingredients don't say it has silica in it to make it flow through the machinery I would go and really probe them about it and look for evidence that there isn't because they're all using it otherwise it gets jammed up in the machinery to the point that like I'm a really difficult client to our formulator guy he <laughs> I give him a lot of headaches but I think he's getting to learn why I am like I am but I said by no means are we using even even trace amounts of silica none of it I mean ground up glass essentially not good for guts so we've had to come up with machinery that pressurize it via air rather than agents and all sorts of things and every now and then they have to stop machinery clean it out get it moving so it's a really laborious process to do it this way but I know for a fact that ours is nothing but liver. And most of these, yeah, like I said, powder products, things that ends up in capsules, there's an element of something in there. And if the percentages are quite low, I don't even think they have to always state it's in the ingredients. So anyway, since then, since we've been doing our beef liver, um, yeah, that we don't have to ask for testimonials. They've just been flooding in. And people who really acknowledge that, it's been the missing link for their skin. Um, and even people, funnily enough, who had been eating a portion of beef liver weekly, they notice when they take a few capsules daily like this, 
it's just it's it's a whole nother level for them so so that's been good I mean and consider too people say well it's not perfect it's not perfectly raw fresh well sure get it raw you know get it fresh eat it my god do that if you can't if you can't access it there are other ways rather than going without it completely um but even still remember when you freeze something when you cook something nutrients degrade by many processes so as long as you can find that way of retaining as many nutrients as possible um yeah all the better so we've done that also with um oysters yeah that was another challenge <laughs> was that another kitty idea emma we um, got yeah, to do oysters <laughs> and i said right if we're gonna do it i'm gonna you know i'm the ocd one i'm the painful <laughs> one but the, the first the first one we sourced which was said to be from new zealand i thought well, new zealand sounds good it probably sounds like cleaner waters than China or Korea or something. But before we were going to, you know, embark on, you know, trying some out and making an order of it, I had our guide just quiz them again and again. I need to see exactly which, you know, which part of New Zealand they're from. Turns out it said from South uh, Pacific waters, yada, yada. When we probed out a little bit more, we found out South Pacific waters means all the way up to Asia and the oysters were from there. <laughs> like really and we're selling it as new zealand products there's so much of that going on it's really i just don't know how people sleep at night like it's one thing to go well we're making something we're making money but i don't know there's so much junk out there can't we just bring a few good things with integrity back in even if it takes a bit longer to find um we we recently put out a marine collagen we had a lot of interest in marine collagen and there is it is warranted what bovine collagen can do as opposed to marine that both can give slightly different benefits. I mean, if you can't eat fish, bovine will do it for you, vice versa. But um, for people who really wanted that, we thought, well, again, we're going to have to sort out a good one. And so many of the products that say they're from Norway get the finer details, 5 to 10% from Norwegian waters, 95 from America, Asia, all, <laughs> all over. But they don't have to, you know, just um, actually make full disclosure of where they're from. Yeah, so isn't that scary? It's really scary, and it, I mean, it's it's in the whole food industry. It's in every industry. Yeah. You can't just um, trust what it says on the fancy label just because it says organic and paleo or whatever it may be. You can't just take it on face value and and go with it and overconsume it. You've really got to search. You might need to actually approach companies and say, can I see your certificate of, you know, that actually shows, you know, for, for tests they've done um, and it actually discloses if there's any other compounds or nanoparticles in them. But you can't be too trusting. Yeah, and this is the same within the skin space, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. In the beauty industry. And the things that uh, this has been, again, throughout the whole thing, I've learned so much. It's just been my eyes open so much to it. But in the early days, I remember the formulator saying, where do you want to position your product? Is it going to be, you know, budget, mid-range, upper range in terms of final pricing and whatnot? And because then we need to know how much we can invest in the, the cost price per bottle and all that sort of thing. And I said, well, look, you tell me. I said, what, you know something that's sort of a mid to upper range, something that because we're, we certainly didn't choose the cheapest ingredients, my goodness, um, and because we didn't use cheap fillers, there's no way to cut costs, cut costs, sorry. Um, 
So I said, give an example. And they said, well, you know, your, your budget item in the in the pharmacy might be might sell for twenty or thirty dollars, and it might only cost them a dollar or two to make, and that's your profit margin right there. You go, wow, really? And then they said, right up to certain high end products that might cost you four hundred dollars a pot, that might cost you perhaps eleven dollars each. And really, that's just yeah, that's the kind of profit margin, yeah, that is just. <laughs> It's kind of normal in the skincare realm. It's they spend more than on the packaging, the celebrity they might attach it to, paying the them branding. The rest, yeah. yeah. And then our product wasn't seen as really very feasible because our profit margin wasn't big enough. That's what they said to us. We said, no, no, we're fine with it, really. So we spent a hell of a lot more than that on our cost price. So you know, our our, our products, it's it. What is it? Our face cream, which we jammed so many things in. I think that sits at 109. But again, our formulator warned us that oh, your profits aren't really big enough for this. And it's like, yeah, no, this is about where we want to cap the cost. Um, but just remarkable. And even the things that say, oh, we contain this active ingredient or that active ingredient, it might be 0.2%. Yeah or 0.02% of the kakabu plum or whatever it may be, just to be able to say we contain this, and it does nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, marketing is a massive part of it, which is a real shame, and it really feeds on the vulnerability of women, you know, because you need to keep up and you need to look a certain way and you're not, as, you're not already perfect and you're not beautiful enough and you need our products and... It's it's horrific, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, talk to us about like what are we using on our skin that we shouldn't be using mm. on our skin? Mm. What's going no. in, yeah into the yeah, skin? Where to start? Yeah, I know. Uh, we wanted to put a, a page of what we don't include. You know what the ingredients you want to avoid in skincare, but our list just goes on. It's endless, really, because we only use a very short list of ingredients. All of them have genuine um, credited benefits to topical use on skin, and that's another thing. Some things that are seen, oh, look at our active, it's so good, but there's no proof that that active ingredient has any effect topically on the skin cell locally. It might have a benefit if it was in your food ingesting it in a certain form, but it has no benefit necessarily topically. So anything we're going to put in it has to be warranted that actually applying it topically and locally to the skin actually improve skin cell function. Um, yeah, so everything else that is potentially toxic or just irrelevant, we didn't add, which is all of it. Yeah. Um, but first things first, and the reason we started this in the entire the first place was that we saw that even your more, you know, they look to be quite clean products and free of your parabens and free of your silicones and free of your mineral oils and things like that, which is great. They still fundamentally were making a product based in polyunsaturated oils, you know, sunflower, safflower, almond oil, all, all those sort of things. And to help educate people to see that these oils are very easily vulnerable to damage or oxidation, rancid, um, with the exposure to heat, light, and oxygen. And you're applying it onto your body, which is sits around what, be healthy, 36, 37 degrees. Um, you're in the light, going outside, you're in an oxygenated environment, obviously. And these oils are potentially rancid before you even apply them, but 
it actually ages the skin rapidly. So you can have all the anti-aging actives you want, but if it's based in poo for oils, and also too, it's, you know, it, it adds to what your fat makeup is, you know, in your tissue as well. You know, you're accumulating that in your tissue and certain of them don't, you know, metabolize easily or just, just stay there as well. So we decided we wanted to make a product based in, you know, saturated fats, therefore the name saturates, French for saturated. We sort of kept coming back to the French thing, maybe because there's so much wisdom, even in the French diet and the French, French philosophies, and they haven't really changed their ways and they've stuck to their guns and they don't, well, this is again, general term, but um, traditional French ways don't really adhere to your very exclusive diets or the things that encourage, you know, women to deplete themselves and, um, you know, and then, then they really resonate with good stuff like butter and, you know, slow cooked sauces and just quality over massive quantity, but deliciousness is important. So that French connection was sort of important in our philosophies, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, bringing light to why it's important that the fats, you know, that it's based in be predominantly saturated and pretty much all saturated. Because going back in history, if a woman was to, you know, apply anything to her skin to beautify her skin, you know, it was more likely going to be, you know, whether it be the tallows, the coconut-based yeah. product, um, you know, even the lanolins, that sort of thing. And so that's what, again, I sort of like to think we're not, we're probably wrapping it up in a way that is new um, and pulling on more recent research and access to products we wouldn't be able to get if you're just living in a small village and making your own stuff. But um, it's coming back to old ways too. Yeah, so what's happening like when we're we're applying this stuff to our skin and then we spend a lot of time, like we go in the sun or we spend a lot of time in art artificial light, is there just oxidization happening? It's just because we're applying all these, you know, puffers. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's chemical reactions that go on too, which is dependent on the, the person. If, if that person's accumulated a lot of iron in their tissue, you know, over time with age or just, you know, diet-related, um, fortified foods, that uh, the reaction that happens when poofers, iron, and particularly estrogen do their thing, you know, you talk about the age spots and the lipofuscin and premature wrinkles, and that's obviously not nice and that's concerning, but you got to think the bigger picture too. What's going on, you know, throughout every organ in your body? You know, if these kind of spots are occurring on the skin that can't be good also internally. So, yeah, it's. I suppose it's the context of the person and just how important it is. Um, maybe a little bit of certain products that might have some poofer in them might not be a bad thing for some people They get away with it, but particularly your, your body creams that are going from most of your surface area all over your biggest, your largest organ, and that's okay. what skin is. It's a living, breathing organ that is porous as well. You know, it does take stuff in as well. It's been proven. Um, and then you're going to go in, not even lay out the sun, but just being in light and just being in the world. These reactions happen and, you know, depending how much accumulated poof you already have in your tissue and, and you know, things like iron and estrogen, then that reaction is going to occur more rapidly. Yeah. And how, like, how much uh, time should we be in the sun? You know, that, like, it's such a, 
and like an old kind of myth around, you know, the sun exposure and the, the aging of our skin and the sun is going to give us cancer. <laughs> oh, no, isn't it a sad thing yeah. to think, being led to believe that the sun is bad for us? Like, how bad is that? Isn't yes. that sad? It's it really is. sad. Yeah. And okay. I live in the north where we've just spent seven months in darkness. Mm-hmm. Seven oh. months. How does it affect your gray. psyche? So like, it's so hard to explain to people that live here that it's just normal for them. But I grew up near Byron Bay in Australia. So Mm -hmm. even in the middle of winter, it's like 20, you know, degrees and sunny. And it's like the way that I describe it is that I only ever get to like 70% battery Mm -hmm. life. Like I can Mm -hmm. never get to a hundred percent. And I, you know, out of the seven months, there is like this, my nervous system is, it's so depleted and my energy is depleted, even though I do everything that I possibly can to support myself through food and sleep and training and recovery and, you know, all of the things it's, it's crazy, Emma, like the difference that I feel like being in seven months of gray. And I just don't believe that humans are meant to be in gray for seven months of their life and indoors just pummeled by blue light you know it's it's, on top of that i don't think it's the antidepressants we need more of exactly (laughs) on top of not seeing the sun then we're inside and we're inside a lot because you know in winter time here it's dark at 4 p.m and it doesn't get light till 8 a.m and then people are inside on their computers and their tvs and in blue light and and then they're using skin products that it's just a mess. Oh, it's terrific. And then when they do get the chance to go in the sun or summer finally kicks in or they've gone on holidays, first thing they do is slather themselves in sunscreen. I mean, your skin, you, you manufacture your vitamin D at the skin level and it needs that sun to hit it. It needs to almost get to that, not burn, definitely not burn stage, but that little pinky stingy sort of feel that you feel like something is actually occurring and it, and it requires a good amount of, you know, healthy oils on the skin level, particularly saturated fats and cholesterol in the skin level, very important. Um, but it's, and it's not about, oh, we'll just take a vitamin D supplement. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. We actually have to support our body to make the same thing. It's the best version of all these things. Um, yeah, I, someone asked us recently, you know, you're going to put out a, a sunscreen in your range. I was like, well, not really. I mean, I don't use sunscreen. Maybe I'm lucky I was. You know, I'm half Greek myself. Maybe I'm more predisposed to, you know, being in the sun and not not burning. And and it is a personal thing. And if you have a history of a pretty, you know, processed diet, and there's a lot of poof oils in your diet, and it's lacking in those fats or the nutrients, then yeah, you'll be more vulnerable to burning more quickly. But it shouldn't mean, all right, in that case. I'll just use sunscreen more readily. It's like, no, 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 stop and address your diet again and maybe just go by feel. Use your common sense. Get as much as you can, you know, exposure to sun. It might, for some people, it might only be five minutes at a time and that's all they can do before they feel like they're inclined to burn. So you stop, put on a hat, put on clothes, go under a tree, go inside. Um, but still explore how much you can tolerate without burning and that's going to do you so much good. And also getting light on your retina like not always sunglasses you actually you need to let the body know that it is in sunlight and it's 
you know, to going to that sort of, you know, bring the cortisol down and allow the body to heal and allow, I don't know, happiness to kick in. But you you need exposure to light. Um, and, yeah, as much as you can tolerate without burning the better. But, yeah, consider that most sunscreens are, you know, loaded with prefix too. So, I mean, talk about the titanium dioxide and, I mean, yeah, the zinc might be a nice buffer. The only times I've used ever used sunscreen on my own children was when, I know if we've camped at some remote beach, we're going to be there literally all day and they refuse to keep a hat on and it gets to that point you go, I think they're on the verge and I'll put a, yeah, a zinc-based sunscreen on their extremities. But beyond that, I'd rather cover them up. Um, but they, they tolerate a lot of a lot of sun and, you know, I, I see people at the beach and the minute they let their kids out, it's well, they've got their neck-to-knee coverall on. And any other bit of skin showing is slathered in whiteness, you know, hat on everything else, sunny's on. Oh, are these little humans going to grow up without knowing what it feels like to, to be in full sunshine and, and getting all those benefits, particularly in those growth years? Yeah, I stopped wearing sunglasses a couple of years ago and, mm. you know, make a point to like look, you know, look at the light, especially in the morning time. You know, I go for a walk every morning for an hour with my dog and I am mm. like looking at that sunshine. I'm walking into the sun. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and it's, it's yeah, it's, an, it's another really big thing that we see based on the industry, you know, that, oh, yes, we need, we need sunscreen. You know, there's, we could probably walk down a supermarket aisle and half of that aisle is for sunscreens. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. But yet, again, not coming back into like inside of us, like it starts from within, you know, what, what we're eating in our food, our stress levels, all of these, like you said, Emma, this whole umbrella, uh, mm. you know, and that there's, you know, there's so many prongs to that umbrella that contribute to maybe symptoms or, you know, diseases or things that come up in our, in our life. Yeah. Completely. And there's so much fear coming at us left, right and center on every topic. Yeah. I mean, it's just, just absolutely, you know, pushing up the stress levels, which, you know, is our biggest killer. I mean, cortisol get you in the end. That's, that's the thing that you can do all the other things just right, but if you're stressed and that's it, if you head outside and it's like, sun, <laughs> cortisol's up again. <laughs> I mean, your wellness journey is really going to be affected. Yeah. Over the last three years, Emma, is there anything else that you want to share that you've learned uh, or that you think that people need to hear when it comes to their skin and skincare? I think, I think first things first, even the way you approach skincare, like I think there's a lot of um, the language around it. People talk about, I want to have more dewy skin, more glassy skin, more clear skin, more perfect skin. But A, perhaps your skin is already perfect. It's functional. Like we should just support its healthy function. Um, it's already doing a remarkable job. It's keeping your insides in. It's staying together. It's, it's re it repairs and renews itself when you're healthy on the inside. And I think the healthier you are, the less skincare product topically you shouldn't even need. And this is coming from someone who's now selling our own skincare. And I'm saying... If you're really healthy, you know, you might need a little bit of this to, you know, get you through the dry winters or to 
restore some hydration when you've had that hot shower that strip things that maybe we shouldn't even have long hot showers. Um, but the skin has this innate ability to clean itself, moisturize itself, exfoliate itself. And the less you do to it, um, you allow the, the skin's own abilities to kick in that way, which is so that was huge wake up for me. Um, I did some interesting conversations with a lady in um, she's Singapore. Anyway, she was she had a wonderful approach to help. She was more about the, the hands-on massage and getting blood flow and everything else. And she was talking about that respect of how complex and brilliant our skin already is. But if we come at it with that seven-step skincare routine, morning and night, basically it's it's basically um, taking away that, oh, yeah, again, that respect for maybe the skin already does all that. Is it, are we designed that pathetically that we need to come with a seven-step seven skincare routine <laughs> and we need to be constantly exfoliating we need to be constantly throwing acids at it we have to constantly do serums and moisturizers and sunscreen and and a primer and a multiple layers of makeup it's like maybe do less and appreciate your skin and show your skin off and if again if you're healthy internally you should get to that point where you have that quality of skin that you just you want to show your skin you don't want to put a mask on it it's really, yeah, it's really very interesting um, to the point with um, like we, we have a cleanser, we have a, an oil cleanser, which I'd never really done oil cleansing myself until I really got into it, learned how to do it properly. And gosh, I'll never go back to foamy detergent-based cleansers ever again, but your skin should feel clean without feeling stripped, yes. you know, because again, when your skin's healthy, it, it creates its own natural moisturizing factors. And you should have a high level of cholesterol in the skin cells. And, you know, people talk about, oh, but cholesterol in the blood is like a slightly different thing anyway. But, you know, cholesterol in itself isn't a bad thing. That's another conversation. <laughs> we could do a been... whole podcast on that, Emma. <laughs> That's another one, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's been shown that the lower the levels, the cholesterol in the skin cells, the older the skin or more rapidly aged and the more aged it will look. So that was the reason we actually put cholesterol as a major ingredient in our face cream. And it's been shown that if you actually bring it topically, it does affect your skin cells' cholesterol levels and it ignites them to make more of its own. Um, but, yeah, so we, we, we have a, a cleanser coming back to that. But I myself personally, and, again, everyone, there is no one-size-fits-all skincare regime recommendation. You've got to learn to just feel your skin out and see what works for you. But I myself... I don't do any cleansing as such in the morning because generally the, you know, from what I've put on the night before and from what my skin has been enabled to generate itself through those, you know, sleeping hours is really precious stuff, incredible stuff that it generates on the skin level. So all I might do is wet my fingertips and, you know, clean my eyes out a bit, dampen my face a little bit, then I'll put the smallest amount, you know, of our face cream just for protection for the day and from the pollutants out there and and the the heating and the cooling and everything else um but if anything if you find that that oiliness sits in certain pockets in the morning like push it around like it's 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 good stuff keep it there don't don't go washing it off maybe go hang on a second what's my body being busy doing maybe there's some good stuff here that i need to retain but everything about skincare has become 
nope, your skin is pathetic and hopeless and all it does is make bad stuff, keep stripping it off, stripping it back and then supplement it or replace it with something, you know, at best made in a lab, um, how can that match what healthy skin could, could generate itself? Yeah, there's such become such a disconnection or there's a friction that we feel obviously from the culture. Yeah. Because we can see now a different way. We see what, mm. a, uh, what we could look like if we did yeah. all of these things and we did all of these interventions, but sometimes I stop and I wonder if that didn't exist, you know, the body is so freaking amazing. It's so amazing. And the thing that just I get so outraged by is that we're so disrespectful to it. We just do not listen to it and we do not respect it. You know, if we we weren't exposed to the culture, we wouldn't know any freaking different. We would just like, we would, you know, eat the way that we were talking about at the start of the podcast. You know, everyone would be looking kind of like, you know, the same, the skin would look after itself. You know, yes, it's going to age over time. But also, you know, if we lived a different way and we weren't as stressed, we could then bring that into the conversation of like how much of your life, how you're actually living is contributing to your skin and the health of your skin. Like if we lived a different way, we ate a different way like we did before and we didn't know what the culture is telling us well, then we don't have the friction there, but it's that friction that, that brings the, you know, the desire to use all of this stuff and change mm. something that was just innately so intelligent. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent, all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to the point that it's not even allowed or acceptable to have any lines at all. And girls <laughs> in their early twenties are injecting stuff to discourage, I mean, What's wrong with some laugh lines that's showing that you're generally a happy person and you smile yeah. a lot? It's like there's cultures where they actually embrace that and see that as a sign of beauty and, you know, that you're living well, whereas now it's any opportunity that want to inject that and, and remove all signs of life. You know, it's really, yeah. Yeah, yeah the thing. And it's you know, concerning for, well, yeah, and our, you know, particularly our, our daughters growing up. Like how do we keep them grounded and, you know, loving the skin they're in literally? Yeah, it's, um, it's a bit of a battle for sure mm. now. Uh, the mm. thing that I love about what y- yourself and Kitty has created in Satray is that there is this, oh, what comes out for me is that you truly both respect the body And then you've created things that are just going to help it and give it a little bit more support. But those things are so deeply rooted in education and understanding. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was so drawn to it, to it by, because I was like, okay, like these, these chicks, they get the body. They truly Mm -hmm. like understand that the body is like so intelligent and if we, you know, nourish it right and manage our stress and move it in a way that supports it, you know, it can, it can pretty much do, do the job, but then therefore, because the world that we live in, we need extra support. So through Saturday, you've created that you've just created, but you've done so much research. There's so much education. There's so much why behind it that it's just, it's so beautiful. And it's, I, yeah, I'm just, I feel so grateful that 
you to exist and that you've created products that just have such a powerful why behind them. Oh, that's a lovely thing to say. I appreciate all of that because that's exactly what we're trying to achieve and nice to hear it being, you know, noted and appreciated because it's it's certainly not the easy path, you know, and we could certainly, there's stuff we could sell and promote easily, you know, in our sleep that wouldn't require work and would make a hell of a lot more money and it's, and it's never been about that. Um, I think we both worked so long and hard to get genuine respect from, oh, it's not even respect, but just have clients really trust in what we're about and know that we're there for them for the right reasons, you know, in our industries for different reasons. Um, so if we were going to put, you know, stuff out there with our name behind it, it had to be 100%, you know, from a place of integrity completely because, yeah, it's, the more I've learned as in this process of accessing the things that we found and then you see the options out there and you look closely at what's really in them and you realise what other brands are doing, just I can't even, I mean, I'm that really innocent little old-fashioned girl who just, I don't know, I just, the integrity is really lacking and it's really, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very disconcerting but nice to see people reciprocating what we're about and wanting wanting more of what we're doing yeah yeah thank you thank you for the work that you do thank you for creating amazing products to support are oh, you liking the face cream yeah I have them I have them here yeah <laughs> I have it right I'm holding it as we're recording um, yeah I've been using you know the supplements for quite a long time now uh when I first started to connect with Kitty over a year or so ago. And then, yeah, um, I got your, I got your products. They came all the way from Australia to Canada. All the way. (laughs) And that's, and I order them, you know, they do, they ship to Canada. Uh, I get all my women to, to buy saturate. I'm such a, I'm such a fan and. Appreciate it. It's yeah. We're a fan back of you and everything you're doing and this is the thing, it goes without saying that, I mean, yeah, I mean, the message you're putting out there, that's just, that's an even more important message. It's, it's so important to, yeah, empower people in general with actual knowledge because when you know why you're doing something, you're no longer dependent on, on me, on Amy, on any practitioner, on that book, on that government recommendation, like when you're empowered with actual information, which I don't even think it's education it's, as such. Perhaps more it's reigniting their innate knowing on, on many topics. When, you, when, someone, when I say something to a client and they just kind of nod like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, it's not because I'm so profoundly amazing. I'm just a conduit of everything I've learned. I'm just trying to help them see things more clearly. Um, I think it's only because it's, triggering them something that they've gone I knew that deep down I already knew that and then they just nod and then it feels right and then they they fly from there um but the things that you have to convince someone of maybe that's not the right message in the first place you have to really push it and sell it um but I think true truthful information is the stuff you just have a deep down uh-huh and yeah I could see my grandmother doing that I can you know I just it makes sense in terms of what's accessible to you in your area, to what 
maybe humans should be doing. And there should be that level of enjoyment because in the end, what's the point? Do you know what I mean? Like uh, one thing I, I harp on about a lot is if you had a short list of the boxes that needed to be ticked in order to define that perfect diet, you know, a lot of people might say it has to be nutrient dense, it has to be clean, it might have to be organic, it might have to be digestible. I mean, yes, a lot of those things are important. Although sometimes I question, what does clean mean, really? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> there's so many, you know, is awful clean? I don't know. Um, but they're, they're quite common little boxes to tick, you would say. Um, but one that I don't see mentioned as much, if at all, as being just as important is that food needs to be delicious. Like it has to be. Not because it's fun and because it makes it all nice, but it actually has to be. Because if you're not salivating and excited about that dinner that's simmering on the stove that you're getting ready for, you're literally not going to switch on the full capacity of your digestive tract. Like it's it's not going to happen. Um, and anyone who's worked with me will hear me question them on our first conversation. And I, and I I'd ask them things like, what do you define as being delicious to you personally? And it's a very personal thing. So, Amy, what's delicious to you personally? Like what is your dream meal? And put aside healthiness, put aside all of that. It might be a comfort meal. What would be Ooh, if you were gonna? If I was gonna somehow get to you in the next hour or so, we're gonna go out for lunch. Where are we gonna go? Well, I can tell you one of my favorite meals. So it's a slow cooked lamb belly. I Ooh. love slow cooked lamb belly. Yeah, and it's wrapped, and inside it is like herbs. Um, and then I love roasting the potatoes in the lamb fat. And so yeah, then wow. they're like full of lamb fat and they're like nice, nice and crunchy. And then I really love making um, like a, a roasted zucchini and like herb salad on the side. So that to me is like one of my favorite meals that I get really excited about. Sounds amazing. Well, exactly. So keep that in mind. You could probably feel yourself salivating already. Like you're excited and you think, cool, what time's lunch? I'm there. But if I called you back and I said that place we're going that does the incredible lamb belly at Esha today, I'll meet you down the road at that little vegan joint. They do a really nice brown rice ball stuffed with tofu and a kale salad with celery juice. Like, did you just feel, oh, your saliva's gone? Like, it's, it's completely <laughs> gone. gone. <laughs> um, and you'd probably be like, Emma, that's nice. But you know what? I'm busy. You've got this thing that came up. <laughs> but it's not. That brown rice ball probably, I mean, some people might love brown rice balls. That's, that's fantastic. Eat them. But if you don't, they'll just sit there in your guts, waiting, festering, starting to just kind of ferment and putrefy. Your stomach acid isn't going to just be flowing. Your enzymes are going to be limited. Your peristalsis is going to seize up probably. It's, it's just so important that we tap into what generally excites our taste buds. Um, and clearly you don't want to, you know, if for that person it's donuts and, you know, fast food, okay, well, let's, let's make those chips at home. Let's make them delicious. Um, emulate those flavours, but it's, it's so important not only for enjoyment of life, but um, actual physiological digestive processes need, need that to be a factor. Um, so, yeah, I think... I don't know what my point was on that, but I, I think it's important to always see the bigger picture, not get finicky and OCD on, oh, but my food list is so good and neat, my macros are good and my numbers are good. 
<laughs> okay, that's great. But are you happy? <laughs> are you a joy to live with? Um, get the sunshine, make food delicious, spice it up, throw flavors at it that make it exciting for you, yes. you know. And, and, and ultimately you want to get to that point where you're so damn healthy that you can eat everything. Do you know what I mean? And you'd be yes. the, the, the mainstay yes. of your food is nutritious, <laughs> but I eat all the stuff. I want to eat everything. I want to travel the world and not be that really annoying customer in that little taverna in the back blocks of some Italian village who says to the nonna, look, I like this menu, but can you do it with this and that on the side? And I want a gluten-free version. Of, you know, I don't know. I want to eat everything, you know, and have the experiences because yeah. let's, or, or carry my own little baggie of food. Like it's not, it's not really living. Yeah, we forget. Like I say this to my women all the time. Food is also for love and connection and joy. And so if yes. you don't have that, like what is the point? What's you the know? point? That's like you might live a few extra years, but you'll be miserable and lonely and pressed. Yeah, you know? or you might be super, Unbalanced. super duper lean, maybe, but like like it is, we forget that, that it is for love and connection and joy. And we've got to get back to that place. And this is why we do have to get back in the kitchen. We do have to spend time with our food yeah. because it is really important. Um, so important. And, and, and I, I think one of the biggest, oh, and when people ask me about, you know, things like preconception care and preconception plans and whatnot, yeah, well, let's get you right and healthy and functioning and let's get your hormones in a more ideal you know, ratio that is going to ignite conception. But also part of preconception care should be trying to disconnect from all your old diet dogmas and that that anal perfectionism around food because if you're about to bring up a child, a human, you don't want to instill that, that obsessive-compulsive disorder on your children around food and that orthorexic tendencies. Um, you want to get, I don't know, get comfortable with, with baking again and getting hands on with food and making yummy treats and, and, and all the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like you, I, I can eat anything and I, I want to be able to eat anything. You know, I want to go and have a delicious meal. I want to be able to travel to another country and just eat the food. And yeah, I, I often say to my women all of the time, like we can get to this place where, we just, we can eat things that nourish us, that we enjoy and we don't have, you know, I don't track and I've never tracked. And I'm not saying that tracking doesn't work. And of course it can teach us a lot about, you know, food and stuff. But for me, it's just always been so, just like so intuitive of like eat just like good food that nourishes you, that you enjoy. Uh, yeah. And so I think we should end there. Let's end yeah. on that. We <laughs> can. We could go on and on. We could. We should just. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, Emma, it was a pleasure. Uh, after trying to trying to organize it a few times, we did it. We're across the world from each other, but <laughs> we um, we did it. And there are there are so many gems in this uh, conversation. So I I thank you. I thank, thank you for your time. Yeah, and like I said, for your work and for you creating Saturé. No, oh, thank you. And thank you for your support. Okay. Really appreciate it. All right. Done. Warrior Woman, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't, please give the podcast some love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another Warrior Woman. Also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review 
for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, Warrior Woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.